Hello and welcome to episode 125 of the Waters Wavelength podcast. I'm Anthony Malakian, the U.S. editor of Waters, and I'm joined by James Rundle, our news editor. Morning. So today, James and I are, you know, we're a little sloggy today because, you know, we had a meeting for lunch to watch the Russia, <laughs> uh, who is it, uh, Egypt, or no, Saudi Arabia game Saudi Arabia. yesterday. Um so we're not on tip-top performance, I don't think, for today. But we're going to try and entertain. We're going to try and discuss uh, some things in the news and then just some uh, more conceptual things. And then we will get into the World Cup, of and course. And our predictions, our which predictions. we know you've all been waiting for. Yeah, no, that, that's really why we're all listening. I've improved 100% right so far. Uh, so we were going to discuss... Um, geolocation data, alternative data. Uh, this was based off of a feature that is now available online. Uh, it was written by Hamad Ali, our colleague in London, and the headline is Hedge Funds Hunt for Alpha Across One Billion Smartphones. Uh, it's a real deep dive into how hedge funds are slowly trying to take in um, this kind of alternative data to try and find out for the difficulties of it and the fits and starts of it. So it's a really good feature on that. It's really interesting. I think the, the nice thing about that piece is that it actually shows examples of people using it like in practice. And yeah. So he speaks to like a hedge fund analyst who's just had a, a fund doing this kind of work and is now starting his own. Um, and he also spoke to the guys from Thesos um, who started out, I didn't know, they're starting out running a portfolio yeah. and using this data and then eventually turned it into a product and became a vendor. Yeah. But really interesting. Check it out. And also, I, I, I attended the TSAM, well, James and I both attended the TSAM conference here in New York. Uh, this week, which is geared toward asset managers, and there was an interesting panel uh, with data special data specialists from BlackRock, Oxif, and Sustainable Insight Capital Management, talking about the ways that they incorporate alternative data into their uh, portfolios, or the way that they're trying to use it to to build their portfolios. And so there's a lot of good stuff in there. So we were going to talk about this. We're hoping to get a guest on because yes, James and I can talk about this, but. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we'd like to you be able to bring somebody on. Yeah. So we're hoping in the next week or two uh, that we will have a guest for you on that front. If not, then we can just ramble on about it and go into it. <laughs> Speaking of rambling on and getting into it, cryptocurrencies. Yeah, big moves over the last uh, 24 hours or so. So <clears throat> in a conference in San Francisco yesterday, um, William Hinman, who's the director of the Division of Corporation Finance at the SEC, uh, said that Bitcoin and Ether are not securities, which is one of the biggest uh, questions, I guess, in the market at the moment. You know, was the SEC going to label them as securities, and would everyone therefore have to supply with, uh, sorry, comply with federal securities laws, or were they going to leave them alone? Uh, so it seems that they're minded at the moment to say that, at, like Bitcoin itself and Ethereum itself, are not um, securities. However, if they're packaged into funds or trusts or various other things, and if their ICOs are obviously investment contracts, then those do qualify, but it's um, it's been a, a big kind of relief to a lot of people, I guess, in the markets. Um, I, you know, so just re- I, I was reading the piece from CNBC about how Ether spiked up nine percent after this. After I was at William Hanneman mm. uh, said this, reading his actual quotes. Now, granted, I wasn't there at the conference, but so he says we don't see a lot of value in seeing Ether as a security. Ether as a coin as a volume. In case of Ether, as we interact with market participants, we keep gathering info. At some point, we say this is something we should make clear. Um, the CNBC article says, you know, and 
judge, and people obviously took it this way by the fact that uh, Ether spiked up 9%, but that the SEC official made it clear that in the eyes of the agency, it's not a security. I really yeah. hear that. I don't hear that they're clear on this. I hear that they want to be clear on this in the future, but that they're not there yet. Maybe I'm interpreting this wrong as I'm probably as close as you It does definitively say it. So one of his quotes was, uh, putting aside the fundraising that accompanied the creation of Ether, based on my understanding of the present state of Ether, the Ethereum network and its decentralized structure, current offers and sales of Ether are not security transactions. CNBC should have had that quote. Should have had that quote. <laughs> and as with Bitcoin, applying the disclosure regime of the federal securities laws to current transactions in Ether would seem to add little value. Um, however, he does go on to say that, yes, fine, we're saying that people buying and selling Ether are not engaged in security transactions at present. This yeah. is it. But he is very, very, very much hedges it. And people have run away with his headlines saying, it's not a security, everything's fine. He says, no. He said, let me emphasize an earlier point. Simply labeling a digital asset a utility token does not turn the asset into something that is not a security. I recognize the Supreme Court has acknowledged that if someone is purchasing an asset for consumption only, that's likely not a security, but the economic substance of the transaction always determines the legal analysis and not the labels. Yeah. So this comes back to what the SEC calls the Howey test, um, which is a bit of case, the Howey test, H-O-W-E-Y. Uh, and this is a, um, a piece of case law from... Uh, 1946. Um, so SEC versus 1946 yeah. to judge on cryptocurrencies. Well, this is, this is the thing. So um, you know, in terms of the way law kind of works, obviously you have these kind of tests which prove um, kind of what the definitional parameters of something are and whether it can be applied to something else. So in this case, it was Howie test. Um, Howie was uh, a chap in Florida who um, solicited investment in orange groves um, and. The SEC said, "Well, you're kind of you're telling people that you're making an investment. They should, they, um, should expect profits. It's an investment contract." And he argued against it. Went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court came up with a series of sort of qualifiers to determine what is and what isn't an investment contract. Mm-hmm. And this is where they've applied it to Bitcoin. So, essentially, it came up with um, an investment contract for the purposes of the Securities Act, and therefore, whether securities laws are applicable means a contract, transaction, or a scheme where a person invests money in a common enterprise and is led to expect profits solely from the efforts of a promoter or a third party. Um, the test is whether the scheme involves an investment of money in a common enterprise and profits to come solely from the efforts of others. If that test be satisfied, it is immaterial whether the enterprise is speculative or non-speculative or whether there is a sale of property with or without intrinsic value. So I can see kind of like from a strictly legal reading of it, obviously investing in cryptocurrencies is speculative. Mm-hmm. Like. I, I mean, I don't expect all these Chicago speed traders are investing in Bitcoin and everything else because they believe in the brand new future of digital currencies and they yeah. want to usher in this revolution in fiat currency. Um, trying to tell me that they don't have the best of the best of intentions. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, you're funny that, right? Um, you know, yeah. Especially guys like yeah, I got out in December. Um, yeah, <laughs> the price started crashing. Um, they're clearly in it for money because they see the volatility and they see that you know they believe there's more gas in the tank and it could probably rise further. Sure. Um, when I was at TCM, there were three uh, Bitcoin hedge fund managers up there talking about you know comparing it to gold and how they invest in gold. Again, this is just it's they do view this as a profit loss kind of exactly vehicle. yeah. Um, and the key thing here though is that there isn't a central body, so it's not like you're investing in a gold miner. Mm-hmm. in a pit who's sure. actually digging out the gold and then selling it on the market and you're expecting to return that profit. Bitcoin is decentralized and while you do have mining to produce the coins, that's not where the value of it comes from. The value of it comes from the market's ups and downs and yeah. there is no kind of central body who is 
you're not benefiting from the labour of someone else necessarily in doing that. So that's kind of what I guess determines the case in this. That being said, uh, you know, immediately as soon as this came out, SIBO, Kristen Cannon put out statements licking his lips saying, uh, you know, this decision clears a key stumbling block for Ether Futures, the case for which we've been considering since we launched the Bitcoin Futures. Um, and all the ICO guys, the, the um, initial coin offering guys were just like, yeah, this is great, it means we can do whatever the hell we want. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Like the SEC has very clearly said that with ICOs that are quite clearly investment contracts, we're still going to come after you if you don't register uh, with the SEC and if you don't follow political securities laws. So, I mean, a bit of relief, for the, I guess, for the spot market, um, but not as big as everyone's making out to be. Specifically, the kind of you know the weird crypto media who tend to look at things on very face value and don't look yeah. a little bit further beneath that. Yeah, dig into the, yeah. the rest of the context of what they're saying. Precisely. Yeah. Um, all right. So. I mean, that's, you know, as far as going forward, is there anything that people are going to have to keep an eye out for? Well, the launch of Ether Futures for SIBO, I guess. That's going to be coming <laughs> uh, pretty soon. Um, yeah, uh, I think what this does do is it opens the door for a lot more products based on swap markets. So not just Ether Futures, potentially Litecoin Futures, um, you know, all the sort of the big top 10 currencies. I'd expect to see things coming up based on those soon. What... The slightly concerning thing might be is if people who are less responsible than SIBO or CME start thinking, maybe we should get on this, maybe we should yeah. launch a futures exchange and we can start doing futures and everything, and, you know, options and futures and what have you. Um, so that's a problem for the SEC, to, the CFTC even, to consider down the road. Okay. And, you know, speaking of TSAM, you were a bit late uh, to TSAM. I was, yes. Why were you late to TSAM? Because uh, I'm an awful journalist and a terrible that's employee. That's <laughs> but also because my wife was sworn in as one of New York's newest attorneys. Uh, Congratulations, so thank Veronica. Thank you very much. Uh, on behalf of Veronica. Yeah. Uh, we didn't do anything, bro. This has been hard for me, man, for these last 10 years. <laughs> Just to let you know. But no, she, uh, she was admitted to the New York bar, which is very proud. Um, so I got to the Supreme Court, the appellate court in, uh, in Brooklyn. I was in this big forbidding room with a wood panelled, big gold in God we trust yeah. and laid on it, you know, guys with guns walking around and you know, New York cops. Um then the room sort of fills up with a hundred odd kind of lawyers, including my wife who I couldn't see because she's ten apples tall and was at the front. Um and then the you know, the justices come in and start giving their speech and I was thinking, right, I'm in for a treat now, this is gonna be half an hour of Legal analysis, and um, I was trying not to fall asleep. Um, but it's cool. They started talking about artificial intelligence for most of it, actually. Artificial intelligence. What does that have to do with swearing and judges? Well, this is the interesting thing. Like, it was actually a really interesting commencement speech, and I, I really wish I'd asked my wife what the name of the, the judge was, but I can't remember right now. Um, but she said that they're one of the first generations of e-lawyers. Of what? E-lawyers, essentially. Okay. So they'll be representing clients who, and she uses an example, um, who may be involved in insider trading schemes and their Amazon Alexa has recorded details of that yeah. or, uh, you know, are taking time off work or something um, and their employer, like a bank or something, doesn't believe they were sick and tries to fire him. Um, and when it comes to court, it turns out that they'd ask their TV, their smart TV or whatever, to begin an exercise workout which proves they weren't sick and that kind of thing yeah. as well. But I thought it just raised some really interesting... Um, points about kind of what's being recorded by these home devices um, and how it kind of applies back to, especially in financial markets, we've heard that there are numerous problems between banks and uh, and these services at the moment in terms of what data goes into it, who owns it, how it gets recorded, who it gets sent to, 
that kind of thing as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you read something in the was it the New Yorker magazine that was about this? Uh, yeah, so in the, what, what issue is this? So this is the June 18th issue, edition mm. of the New Yorker. Um, Louis uh, Menon? Eh, sorry if I got the name wrong there. But the article is uh, Nowhere to Hide. Sure and she's it, listening. It's this <laughs> deep dive into privacy and privacy law specifically. So it, there is an interesting overlap there, which there's... A couple cases, actually. You know, you talk about Alexa, uh, Luis, who I'm not sure if it's that's a male or a female, so forgive me, I'm not knowing that also. <laughs> but Luis says, what? I don't know, you got to look I up. thought he said Alexa. Was it male or female? Oh, no, no, Luis so Alexa. Or... So about Alexa. Yeah. So in Oregon, a couple were having a domestic, uh, a domestic conversation about hardwood floors, they say. And Alexa... Uh, and the conversation was recorded by Echo, Amazon smart speaker for the home. And then it sent the audio file of that conversation to one of the husband's employees. Amazon said this was just strictly, you know, just... What? Uh, just, <laughs> you know, it's like horrifying to listen to. But some of the other interesting cases... Why does it even have that functionality to it? Like record a conversation, attach it to file an email it, and send it. Yeah. yeah, and then send it. So Is that just doing that every day for all of our... Stuff it records. I mean, yeah, I guess so. Well, yeah, exactly. And then the fact that it must have connected to the person's email account, knew its email registry, sent it to an employee. (laughs) That employee must have been baffled. (laughs) 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 At least we were talking about firing him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but um, so they make an interesting point about. Uh, so this is just quoting from the article, but people aren't consistent about the kind of exposure they'll tolerate. We don't like to be fingerprinted by government agencies, a practice we associate with mugshots and state surveillance, but we happily hand over our thumbprints over to Apple, which does God knows what with them. Yeah. You know, so it, it goes into like a lot of different things like that um, and how uh, through previous rulings, the right to privacy does not attach to property so the court said it attaches to persons. So this was a case of Charlie Katz, but he carried along that right with him uh, wherever he went, where there's a reasonable exception of privacy. And so that's why you need a warrant right. um, for many of these things. But it will be interesting to see how the court is going to go about applying law yeah. to these devices and the Internet of Things, you know, more you know, than you, beyond AI. You, can you subpoena someone's Echo Dot or something, I guess? It's sort of well, like, you know, there you... have been cases where, um, what was it? What was, there was a recent case, so it wasn't that. I wonder if I had it in here somewhere. But, yeah, where basically the, the Supreme Court, well, if you remember the San Bernardino shooting, mm-hmm. now they wanted to get into, they wanted Apple to allow a backdoor um, so that they could get into this encrypted phone. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the shooter's name, uh, just to see if there was a terror network. And they said, we can't create this for you. This is, it would basically unlock every single Apple phone. You're going to have to go and figure out a way around it without us doing it. But they tried to compel mm-hmm. um, Apple to do this, brought it to court. Uh, the court said, no, they, don't, they do not have to create this. Um, and what was sneak about it, yeah, you want this in a terrorism case. They were also trying to get this for a couple drug. There were seven or eight other drug cases that really? they wanted to get. Oh, like Rico in, cases and that kind of thing exactly, as well. So, to yeah. create a network. So mm-hmm. these are going to be the cases. You know, it's funny. Aaron Sorkin, uh, the writer of The West Wing, Blue May or things, but it's incredible how much that show saw ahead, saw into the future, mm-hmm. and discussed. Uh, you know, 
you know, obviously didn't see Trump coming, but I think that they 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 had so many issues that Obama faced, you know, as Bartlett. You know, it was, it was really incredible. But one of the things, Sam Seaborn, this was in the first season of the show, so this would have been late 90s, early 2000, about, you know, Sam Seaborn saying, you know, the 21st century is going to be about the right to privacy. You know, what do we have? And, you know, so this was, they yeah, decided to thinking. go with their who their Supreme Court nominee is going to be. Mm. Um, and just to, to, to be able to see it in 2000, and that truly is the lawyers of today in the capital markets, your wife, anybody who's going to be facing this, the Fourth Amendment and privacy are going to be such a huge um, centerpiece of judicial law going forward here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, it just reminds me of a story of an SEC case I had from a couple of years ago, which was as low-tech as you can get, and you still want court. So this guy... He's paranoid about people monitoring his phones and sort of his surveillance systems at work and stuff. So he'd meet this uh, analyst at Grand Central Station who would give him a tip about an insider deal about to take place on a post-it note. He'd read it, memorise it, and swallow the post-it note. <laughs> and then go off. And I just thought that was just like an amazing uh, kind of example of like someone who's so like scared to death of kind of what everything's recording around them. He'd leave his phone in the office, like anything yeah. electronic around him. I can't remember how they actually caught him in the end, but um, somehow they did. And yeah, I think they're just old-fashioned surveillance or something like that. But yeah, yeah. just imagine. Well, it's actually, so another case that they bring up, so about, you know, what can, what this could be used for insider trade and things like that. So if you wanted to go beyond just how the courts are using this right now, but uh, the court, the Supreme Court is going to, I'm not sure if they have decided on this yet or if they're going to be deciding on in the next go-round, but Timothy Carpenter, uh, 2014, was convicted of participating in a series of armed robberies on the basis, in part, of records obtained by police from his cell phone company. These showed the location of the cell phone towers his calls were routed through, and that information placed him near the scenes of the crimes. Uh, they're now using the third-party doctrine, uh, which says police cannot listen in on your phone conversations without a warrant. Um, that's the third-party doctrine. But since Carpenter knowingly revealed his location to a third party, his cell phone uh, service provider, that information called metadata is not protected, is what their contention yeah. is. It's actually what gave, um, from 2001 to 2015, the NSA just recording every single monitoring or uh, get access to every single call, incoming, outcoming call in that span. I mean, it's actually, the metadata is even more revealing, though, in many ways, in the actual conversation yeah. contents. I mean, if you, and there's a famous case where um, I think someone cited a conference um, once where they said, all right, so the government may not know that you called your doctor and you spoke about um, your cancer treatment or whatever coming up. But they do know that you went to the doctor's office, who's a known specialist in oncology. Yeah. They do know that they called your wife and then your life insurance provider straight afterwards. They do know that you then called your work and they do know that you then revisited that clinic for the next two weeks for every like, day of the yeah. month or whatever. Um, very revealing about just where you are and the mess data and who you contact that you can sort of show things up. But it, I mean, I, I always just assume since I've had phone, like mobile phones, that <laughs> the government were listening in anyway. I, just, I didn't think they'd let us have them if like they couldn't have a way to do it. Like, I remember when I was a kid, um, and this is kind of the height of like government paranoia after the troubles and after nine eleven and uh, and after the bombing in London and everything like that. Where you used to be able to say like a series of keywords on the phone, and there'd be like a series of five clicks on it, which meant they'd been picked up by someone. Yeah. Someone started listening to your conversation. 
And then you just put the phone down, obviously. But yeah. it's like something we used to do with kids just to fuck around with GCHQ. But it's just like, <laughs> ah, gotcha, good. It. Um, it's all fun and games until the police come kicking in your front door. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, you get your dad's like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. Like, yeah, I mean, we do. These things are important for people to take care of. I always just assume that if you're going to use a smartphone, if you're going to use a public service or something like that, they're going to be listening in. Like, you'd expect them to be as well. It's, it's a very you know, defeatist 1984 you know, quality, but that's really how I kind of just I do assume. Well, I mean, also, if you're going to commit a crime, turn off the damn cell phone. Why, I mean, why you got your cell phone going? Like, I mean, come on, man. You got a burner. You know something. Is, yeah. If you don't watch The Wire. I mean, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> one other funny piece. For, so, again, this is uh, Nowhere to Hide in New Yorker. Mm-hmm. Great, great piece on privacy. Uh, but there, a lot of this Fourth Amendment precedent is set in 1948 with the Muzak company, Mm -hmm. okay? So they were pumping in Muzak into the city buses, and 92% of the people said that they didn't have a problem. Sometimes there would be an advertisement, sometimes there would be a news program, in addition to just, you know, the the little elevator music that you hear. Two lawyers named Franklin Pollock and Guy Martin, they decide... Enough is enough. We have we're, we we can't take this anymore. <laughs> Being compelled to listen to a radio program not of their choosing on a public bus, they maintain represented an unlawful deprivation of liberty under the Constitution. So the Supreme Court took this up in 1952, and it said that a bus, it is said, is not like a home. It's a public space, and in a public space, the public interest prevails. As long as the city government has the comfort, safety, and convenience of its riders at heart, it can run its transportation system any way it wants. So Pollock and Martin had no more right to demand quiet on the bus than they had to tell the driver where to stop. So it was a 7-1 vote. One justice, uh, Felix Frankfurter, he recused himself saying, quote, my feelings are so strongly engaged as a victim, he wrote, that he was so visceral, he's incapable of, of handing down a partial judgment. Wow. So, and then William O. William O. Douglas, not O as in like an Irish name, O. Dot, yeah. William Douglas was called. Uh, he was the lone dissenter. And he wrote, uh, the beginning of all freedom is the right to be let alone. Forcing people to listen to the radio, he said, is a step on the road to totalitarianism. If you can tell people what to listen to, you can tell people what to think. Quote, the right to privacy is a powerful deterrent to anyone who would control men's minds. I mean, this is all over elevator music. They're taking it a little bit too seriously. <laughs> I, know, right? Right? I mean, come great. on. This is not coaching. But these are the press. Mind right? control and propaganda. <laughs> I mean, it all starts as music. Then all of a sudden we're just no, being, yeah. you know. Yeah. First they came for the music and I did not speak <laughs> out. <laughs> so great articles, great stuff. Congratulations to Veronica. We'll be looking forward to some of the court. But if you have some thoughts on privacy and stuff like that, we're no. always this is a topic we'd love to talk about at the bar. Yeah. So we're always happy to go out. Speaking of topics that we love to talk about at the bar. The World Cup. World Cup. Yep, I've been a hundred percent success rate in my prediction so far. Yep, two for two. Only in terms of who's going to win, not the yeah. actual score, because that's been just woefully inadequate. Five but, nil, and uh, to yeah, that I, one was over scored. It was you, overscored, and this one was on the side. Two one for both. Two one Russia, 
uh, Saudi Arabia and then 2 1 Uruguay, Egypt. And, Instead uh, of 5 0 and 1 0. It's Friday morning, yeah. It's 5 0 1 0. We've got, um, he's up next, Morocco Iran, I think. Are going to be playing uh, again. Yeah, Morocco Iran, great, great game. I mean, classic rivalry. The right giants there. of football, right? Yeah. <laughs> However, this afternoon, Portugal v Spain. That will be a great Probably game. Probably the really Spain. only, gr- well, that and uh, Bel- or no, uh, England uh, Belgium. England, that Belgium, will be a good, good group stage match. Everything else is. Germany, Mexico. Yeah, I can't really see what else we've got. I mean, Argentina, Croatia would be a good game, I think, and Group D. Yeah, and, some um, people would say Iceland, but I, don't, I think they were just a fluke. Yeah, and I think France, Peru, I think France are going to win that, but it might be a good game. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, these are, you know, the, the group stage isn't, it's a weird World Cup, a lot of powers, and then just name country like U.S., obviously, but Italy's not there, Netherlands aren't there. Yeah. Um, so... It, it's a weird little World Cup going on right now. It's funny that Russia got the easiest group. Uh, some people calling it in World Cup history. As yeah. well. World Cup, just shocking. Just, it was a coincidence. Just yeah, a yeah. coincidence. Yeah, um, so let's go through our predictions, James. Let's go through our predictions. Now, um, I think if my bracket holds the way that I have it, we're going to have a couple uh, great, great early round games like Spain-France in the, in, uh, the, the round of, what would that be, eight? Uh, Portugal Argentina is what I have in the round of eight yep. there, and Messi versus Ronaldo. Oh, that'd be great. Germany England, nice little World War Two battle going on. Yep, World yep. War Two battle going on. So, and then I have Brazil Belgium in uh, the round of eight as well. So that's my round of eight there. What have I got? I've got uh, Uruguay Portugal. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got France Croatia. Uh, Brazil Mexico, Belgium Poland. Spain, Egypt. Oh, you're going. This, this, this is the round of 16. You're it's round of 16, sorry. Yeah. Uh, learn how to count. Yeah. Okay. So the round of eight. Round of eight. Oh, Next okay. Yeah, yeah. That round. Quarterfinals. Quarterfinals. Oh, okay. In that case, quarterfinals Spain, Argentina, Germany, England, um, Portugal, France, and Brazil, Belgium. So, yeah. Is it the same as you? Is it? No, so I had Spain, France, Brazil, Belgium, Portugal, Argentina, Germany, England. Uh, okay, right. A little bit different there. So then I have. France and Belgium going through to the semis, and Argentina versus Germany. Got Portugal, Brazil, and I've got Spain, Germany. So. Spain, Germany. Okay, mm. so we're way off on our predictions here. Yeah. And then I have the Germans beating France in the World Cup finals. Really? That's bold. Yeah. I've got Germany, Brazil in the final. Germany, I've got the Brazil. Germans winning, but here's where it gets really bold. Two all, Germany winning in penalty kicks. Two all in a World Cup, yeah, World final. Cup final. That would be a big exception. I'm rooting for it. I hope to see that. I hope Brazil wins on penalty kicks, but yeah, we'll see. It's maybe Germany will scab their way into this one. Now it does seem like when the World Cup is held on, you know, in traditional places, you know, Europe, you know, whatever European country you want to call it, um, Brazil, you know, Argentina, the results tend, from what I can think, is there aren't too many shockers. But I remember, like, the Asia one, there were some weird outcomes. There have been yeah. some weird outcomes in South, South Africa. Africa. Yeah. Um, so in Russia, I wonder if there will be a little bit of... I think there'll be a lot of stabbings. A lot of stabbings. That's, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe some some gun crime as well. <laughs> um, probably a racially inspired hatred. Uh, uh-huh. It's going to be good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's already a weird World Cup, right? Because Italy's not in it. Um, the Netherlands aren't in it. The USA is not in it. Um, so that's already going to change up the composition, I think. And I mean, it'd be nice to see some of the the, um, the South American teams that like, get far this time, I think. And yeah. I always, I always find that tough because, it's like, I always want to root, like, so U.S. main rivals, obviously, Mexico. 
And so that's like, you know, Michigan versus Ohio State. If you're a Michigan fan, you'll never root for Ohio State. Even if it's the Big Ten versus the SEC, you just can't yeah. root for Ohio State. Like if you're an English fan, you never you will never root for Germany or Argentina. It's yeah. as simple as that. So, you know. For me, it's a, just the, the this hemisphere is so disrespected outside of Brazil and Argentina. Yeah. That I kind of want to see, you know, your Costa Ricas, your Mexicos, you know, Peru, you know, these kind of countries do well and represent themselves. I don't think Uruguay, I don't think Costa Rica, I don't think Peru are bad sides. This, I think they've got some good squads. They're not going to get past the round of uh, the round of um, sixteen, but. uh, It'd be fun to see one of those kind of squeak in. I'd love to see Mexico go through, but in my bracket, I would have them playing Brazil in uh, the round of sixteen, and that's. Not an easy get right there. And then I've got Brazil, Belgium after that. Yeah, so. Brazil, yeah sorry, Brazil, Belgium as well with yeah, Belgium yeah. beating yeah. Brazil. I think Brazil's going to flub in Europe is my, what I'm counting on there. Yeah, yeah. I think it'll be interesting. Uh, I've got no faith that my bracket is going to hold up whatsoever. But, um, hey, look, it's going to be a fun fun month and a half. Think, exactly. So. Yeah, so if, and by the way, if you want to go out and watch some of these games and have some drinks, James and I are all about business meetings We're all over drinks. Any time. While the World Cup is on. So, yeah, 11 a.m., all good for us. We can talk during halftime. It's fine. 2 p.m., yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, we'll be back with uh, next week. Uh, we, we will not be talking geolocation data next week, but hopefully um, in the near future. Uh, but if you have some thoughts, some topics that you want to kick around, we're all ears. Otherwise, uh, we will be back next week. Yeah, that's a it, terrible ending to the show. Can you just turn off your Alexis? Turn off your Alexis, exactly. <laughs> turn off your microphone. All right, have a good day, y'all. <laughs>